The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. The late summer pullback gaining steam today as stocks fade throughout the session. The S&P 500 falling below the 4,000 mark. The most important hour of trading starts now. Welcome, everyone, to Closing Bell. I'm Sarah Eisen. Take a look at where we stand right now in the market with one hour left of trading. Down more than 1% across the board, 1.5% for the NASDAQ. There's the S&P 500. It's down about 1.3% at the moment. Every sector is lower. Energy is the hardest hit. Big give back in oil prices today. Energy stocks down almost 4%. Utilities are at the bottom of the pile as well. Technologies not doing particularly well. Materials, really, it's the cyclicals, it's the safety and tech all moving lower throughout the session. The Dow is down about 360. Low of the day was about down 450. Here's a look at the biggest decliners right now in the S&P 500. And you can see there are plenty of energy names on that list, some material names there as well with the sell-off in commodities. We're going to talk to Ed Morris of Citigroup later on in the show. Also coming up in today's show, we will talk to Bruce Richards from Marathon Asset Management. Get his playbook amid this latest market downturn. Plus, National Economic Council Director Brian Deese joins us to break down the latest jobs data. We got some good news for the economy on job openings today and what that signals for the Fed and the economy, whether it increases the odds of recession in the future. First up, we'll kick it off with the market dashboard today. Senior markets commentator. Mike Santola is going to call you a correspondent. You're a commentator. What are you focused on amid the selling, which has gotten worse? It has, uh, Sarah, and it's sort of this decline has taken out some of the minor defenses this rally had built up. In just today, you went through 4,000 on the S&P 500. That was also basically the 50-day average and also cut through the halfway mark of the entire June to August rally. So basically this went uh, up about 19 percent. Uh, half those, half that amount was actually unwound with today's decline. It's actually just a few points above where we are right now. Now, it doesn't necessarily say that said it was all a head fake higher and it's down from here. But it certainly depletes the bull case a little bit to say that we have not gotten escape velocity. This rally stopped exactly at the 200-day average, which is falling. So I don't think the bears are particularly concerned right now, but there are still uh, is still the possibility that we gather ourselves up. My personal thought is we lose a few more percent from here. It looks like we're going to retest the lows. Sentiment would get really ugly quickly and it would get pretty oversold and maybe you'd have a chance to bounce. Now, the data this morning did not help. I actually put some more pressure on the market, in particular, the job market tightness that was evident in the JOLTS job opening labor turnover survey, uh, as well as uh, compared to the total number of unemployed people. Now, this is an interesting relationship. Obviously, massive labor slack back here post-global financial crisis. This is the obviously the uh, pandemic spike in unemployment. And here we have more job openings than we have unemployed people. That's been the case for a while. Had an uptick in openings. That's sort of working against what the Fed uh, is, says it wants to do. Look, Jay Powell on Friday said the labor market is clearly out of balance. If you thought it was the case Friday, this contributes to that idea. Although the quit rate has gone down, there's ways to look at the jolts data to say that, yes, there's some cooling under the surface of the job market, just probably not enough. Market 
market took it as a bad sign Absolutely. that the Fed has to do more, go bigger potentially, right. go longer on higher interest rates. Uh, yes, as I said in the chart, higher for longer. H-R-I-E. Higher, higher, higher yeah. for longer. Stay with us because the market reversing some earlier gains. Also, after news that Taiwan's military fired warning shots at a Chinese drone that buzzed an island controlled by Taiwan near the Chinese coast. It marked the first time warning shots have been fired in such an incident. Let's bring in Michael O'Hamlin, director of research at the Brookings Institution. Michael, how, how seriously do we take this? Hi, Sarah. Well, you know, given the tension right now, every little thing like this has the potential to blow up. So in that sense, uh, it doesn't make me feel good that it happened, but I feel okay now that it's over. Uh, although China is angry enough with the Pelosi visit and everything else that's been happening that I wouldn't be surprised if they just keep creating small incidents to see how Taiwan reacts and maybe even if Taiwan overreacts to give themselves a pretext for further aggression of some kind, probably not all out war. I don't think they're looking for that at this juncture, but I think they wouldn't mind spooking the Taiwan markets, for example, making the people of Taiwan worry that they can't just elect political leaders who seem to move towards independence, this is the Chinese view of the matter, uh, and get away with it. And so I think China wants us all to be anxious and they'll look to do things that create some degree of risk. If the risk is controlled and if people keep their nerves, it shouldn't do a whole lot. It may sometimes affect the stock market in Taiwan or what have you, but it really shouldn't lead to war. But there's always the potential this kind of thing gets out of control. If the next drone is shot down, if an airplane is shot down, then you get into some really uh, tense moments. Yeah, well, we know investors are paying a close attention to all these developments. Obviously, we're talking about the world's two biggest economies with U.S. and China. And, and that does bring the question, Michael, to the U.S. And, and what the posture is here. There's a report in Politico today that the Biden administration is going to ask for more than a billion dollars worth of arms package for Taiwan, which I'm sure would not make China very happy. Where does it go? The well, relationship. I, yeah, I, you know, the relationship is not going well, as you're well aware. And, and I think that this will be one more issue that makes China react. But China is somewhat accustomed to arms sales. Uh, you know, we've been doing them for decades. And Taiwan needs stuff. They're way behind China. Obviously, China's got a $250 billion military budget, plus or minus. And Taiwan's is $15 billion, plus or minus. So just the sheer numbers mean that Taiwan's going to have to buy good stuff, the right stuff, from the best weapons manufacturers in the world. And so I think that China always objects, but it has accepted a certain amount of ongoing U.S. weapon sales. When it gets to be a billion dollars, that's a big one. And you combine that with everything else. And yes, there is the potential for China to feel it has to do something else by way of reaction. Uh, so it's, it's the combination that bothers me here more than the weapon sales themselves. Michael Santoli, how, how does the market even begin to, to price something like this? I don't think in any precise way just yet. I'm clearly wary of it because, you know, the headlines uh, out of Taiwan happened before the economic numbers and the market did sort of back off a little bit, it seemed, on that. In bear markets, it seems like there's a yet another thing to worry about, but you don't really start to price it in until you have to. So I think to me it would be more about any other signs that, that you know, China is, is having these geopolitical 
priorities overtake its interest in, in good economic relationships or withdrawing that much more from, you know, the, the kind of entire economic uh, kind of ecosystem as they've done now. And, of course, we've seen what happened with the Chinese currency. That's also been a little bit of a worry point with the, the weakening there. It's weakening, but yeah. the dollar is strengthening. So everywhere, that, that, yes. that is a, a yeah. pull everywhere. Michael O'Hanlon, how, how do we think about the economic stakes here? I, I'm watching some of the semiconductors. Right. We know that industry is right in the middle. What, what other industry should we should we be watching well just to back up michael's point when he says you know the market won't price this in until it has to i agree because what is this if this is right. u.s china war then there's no way to price that in then we're going to be worried about the survival of our planet and uh, and i'm not just being melodramatic if if on the other hand there's some potential that china does aggressive military exercises that lead to a week's disruption in cargo shipments you know, that's the sort of thing that the market could price in. But how do you know it's just going to be a week? How do you know it's going to stop there? So I agree with Michael's point fundamentally, because if and when this starts to get worse, there's no telling where it stops. And therefore, there's no real way to meaningfully quantify the, the risks or the dangers because they could be almost infinite. But my, my guess is no one's looking for that. China's looking to make us all talk about this, worry about this. They especially want lawmakers in the United States and leaders in Taiwan to be nervous enough about a process that could get out of control that we stop doing things like Speaker of the House visits to Taiwan or the Taiwan leaders pushing for more autonomy on the international stage. Uh, I'm not sure China's going to succeed, but that's what they're trying to achieve. It's a, it's a good discussion, one I'm sure we'll, we'll be having in the weeks and months to come. Michael Hamlin, thank you very much. My pleasure. And to you, Michael Santoli. We'll see you in the market zone. After the break, Bruce Richards from Marathon Asset Management says he does expect the market to retest the lows, but his long-term view is decidedly more bullish. He'll join us with his playbook next. You are watching Closing Bell on CNBC. We're covering a little bit down 274 on the Dow. Only Dow stock that's positive right now is Nike. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. show you where we stand. Dow down about 229 points or so. So we are off the lows. We were down about 450 at the low point of the day. But you've got every sector lower. The S&P is down a little less than half a percent, or excuse me, almost 1%, one percent, one and a half percent now for the week. I'm just looking at the month, too, because we're coming up on the end of the month of August, down 3.3 percent. Joining us now is Bruce Richards. He's the founder of Marathon Asset Management. And Bruce, you have been saying that we are heading into recession yes. in the U.S. So do you think the, the stock market is 
underpricing that at it's this underpricing point? and what's also underpriced is the credit markets because if the credit markets and equity markets aren't pricing in recession which I don't believe they are um, then there's further and significant downside from here so 3650 on S&P 500, I think it will have to test that, which is down another 8% from here and out 100 basis points from here in high-yield bonds is where we'll get to. But I think we'll actually get to a 10% yield in high-yield bonds. So I think, yes, we're underpricing recession. And given the yield curve and what is pricing now, you can set your clock forward about nine months from today. And I think that's when NEBR will designate this being a recession. Well, why is the market not pricing this? This is It's very telegraphed with the yield curve, with what the Fed is saying. Well, I think, you know, S&P earnings right now for this calendar year is about $214, $215 per share. That's what we're on pace for. And if you look at what's ex- expected for next year, it's $235 or $240. It's about a 15% increase in earnings. I think that's a pipe dream at this point because I think earnings will actually contract. In every recession, earnings contracts about 20%. We think, but that's a nominal number, and so this is there's inflation, that, yeah. so it'll be less than that, maybe 7%. So it takes earnings down to 205, maybe 207 from 215 today, as opposed to 235, 240, what's being priced in. So there's a lot of downside from here yet. Where do you think we are in the tightening cycle? The early stages, the middle stages, or the end? Because the market can't figure it out. It's, it's not so much where we are in the tightening cycle, because, and I, I, I hear you on that question, it's a yeah. great question, because I think there's more tightening to go, and I think we'll be three and a half, four percent probably before it's all over. The, the point, though, and the more relevant point, mm-hmm. is inflation as it trends down from 9% to 6%, and we're in that you know, on that trend now, we'll settle in around 4% throughout all of next calendar year. And so that takes away the Fed put, and it takes away the Fed pivot. And the markets haven't priced that in yet, because if you keep rates higher for longer, it means the recession won't be V-shaped, because the Fed will not be easing into a recession, mm-hmm. as they always do when we hit recessions hit. The market has that wrong, but, you said. You but said. the market has that wrong. But the Fed will maintain the higher rates as you're in a recession in order to bring inflation down. And they're going to do that, and they said they're going to do that. And it's all about Powell's pain plan that he talked about at He told Jackson us to Hole. expect pain. Expect pain for consumer and businesses. So you take a survey of the you know, consumer confidence and you take a survey of CEO confidence. And the CEOs have a real good insight as to what's happening with their companies. 81% of these CEOs now think there's a recession coming in the next year. 81%. And that's a record high number. So expect a recession, expect earnings to be considerably um, weaker, and expect credit spreads to blow out. Because the pain plan is all about higher rates, it's about wider credit spreads, and it's about you know, lower equity markets. And that's the only they thing that's that. really going to... They want tighter conditions. Weaken conditions, which will weaken demand. And when you weaken demand, you can bring prices back down. But the problem is prices can't really come down much because you have a supply chain issue, both with energy, actually with labor, if you want to include that, but with energy, food, labor. Yeah. Structural it's, it's things. They can't, they structural can't things. And, and we're going from globalization to what I call regionalization as we move the supply chain back um, you know, to regionalized which is areas, which is really good for the U.S. I love that long term, but in the short term, it's expensive. So I guess the question now becomes how deep of a recession and how prolonged of a recession? Well, prolonged, yes, but shallow. So it won't be deep. In 2008, 2009, it was a, a four to, you know, and a half percent economic contraction. Um, and you saw something similar in 20, although it was even more V-shaped. 
in terms of its recovery because the five trillion dollars of stim money and, and, and you know and quantitative easing had happened. So this time the Fed again can't ease when the recession hits because the high levels of inflation. And so it's going to be longer but very shallow. And that's going to hit a lot of different industries across the board. Energy will probably do well. Pharma will probably do well. Utilities will do well. But there are a lot of sectors like retailers and, you know, the home builders and, and other segments of the marketplace that are going to be rather hard hit when it comes to earnings. Yeah, because I was going to, I mean, it's a pretty bearish view, at least in the short term, that, you ha- that you're laying out. How, how at Marathon are you positioned for this? Well, we're positioned defensively, and yeah. so we're letting cash build. But I think, you know, look, when high yield and leverage loans and, and, and the bonds that you can buy in the marketplace yield 6%, and we can be in alternatives that are private credit earning, say, 10%, that's a really nice alpha pickup. But when those high-yield bonds are down 10%, which they are this year, and we're still making 10% in our alternative private credit, then, you know, imagine you're an allocator and you are the, you know, CIO of a pension plan and endowment of foundation. You're going to say to your staff, I want to find less, you know, or I want to allocate less money to the public credit markets and much more money to private credit markets. And, and that's where we're seeing our clients' preference shift. And that's true not only of the institutions, but it's also very true of retail. So the RIAs around the country who cover you know, households that have built up wealth, uh, they're finding more and more um, interesting opportunities in private credit and private equity than they are in the public markets. And we're seeing that shift. And that shift is a multi-year and multi-trillion dollar shift, we believe. When, when we talked right before the show, you said, no, no, no I'm, I'm not that bearish. I'm, not, I'm bullish in the long term. I'm bullish in the long term. Which it didn't, didn't really come through yet. So well, explain what, what you mean and where that opportunity so lies. As globalization evolves into regionalization, then supply chains and manufacturing capabilities and plants are going to come back to the United States. The United States is energy independent, which Europe isn't. Right. right. And so we're in a very favorable position with not only having the brightest minds in the world and a capitalistic, you know, uh, um, uh, system, but we also have a lot of manufacturing coming back to the states. And these are global manufacturers that want to be in our marketplace, in addition to dom- domestic manufacturers. So in the long run, in the immediate run, I'd say I'm very, very bullish. But in the short run, I think we have to get through the Fed tightening cycle, this recession that's coming, when the do you earnings start recession. To buy? When do you turn? I think I can safely buy when high yield is back at 10%, equivalent to what we can buy. And the S&P is 36? You know, I think maybe if $305 a share times, you know, 16, might get you down to 32, 3400. So I think there's actually more downside than 36.50. I'm not saying we're going to get there, but I know we'll at least, or I have a high confidence level, we'll at least test the lows. And And the lows is... 345 on 10 year notes and a um, 3650 level on S&P 500. I, I, you're, you're more specific with your targets than the equity strategist. Thank you, Bruce. <laughs> My Good to have Sarah. you here to and get you. your, your worldview from Marathon Asset Management. Show you what's going on in the market right now. Down 254 or so on the Dow. S&P giving back 1%. You've got every sector red. What's holding up better today, financials, higher yields. That's certainly helping. Healthcare also doing a little bit better, but everybody's down. UBS raising the red flag about the economy today, saying there is now a 60% chance of recession in the U.S. 
in the next year. We're going to discuss the outlook for jobs, inflation, and more with the Council of Economic Advisors Director Brian Deese. He joins us from the White House. As we head to break, check out some of today's top search tickers on CNBC.com. Ten-year yield regains its top spot. A lot of interest. Sell-off in bonds continues with the tenure at 3.1. Bruce Richards says 3.45 is the, it's going to be the high. You've got Tesla in there, Bed Bath & Beyond, which was higher on the day earlier. It's now down about 11.3%, still higher for the week. And you've got crude oil, Best Buy, which is surging off of better than expected, weaker results. We'll talk about that later. We'll be right back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Check out today's stealth mover. It's a stealthy one. Bolero, which is scoring a strike for investors. JP Morgan initiating coverage of the bowling center operator with an overweight rating, a $17 price target, implying upside of roughly 50% citing rising demand in a post-pandemic world. Shares of that company, which is the world's largest bowling center owner, with more than 300 locations, are up already about 30% so far this year. A defensive play, I guess. Up next, National Economic Council Director Brian Deese on how fast he thinks inflation could come down from these current levels. Dow's down about 260. We'll be right back. New jobs data out today. July job openings, topping estimates, 11.2 million. That is nearly double the total amount of available workers in this country and nearly a million more openings than what was expected. I spoke earlier with National Economic Council Director Brian Deese and began by asking for his read on today's data and how it jibes with some of the other mixed signals we've seen lately about the economy. Certainly, there was some encouraging signs in today's data. We try to look at perspective out a couple of months. What you've seen over the last four months or so is some cooling in the level of openings in the economy, uh, but still in the context of a very strong labor market, historically strong labor market. Of course, unemployment is now 3.5%, which ties a 50-year low. And, of course, we saw very strong job growth in July. One thing I would note is that we have been saying for a couple of months now that certainly we expect and anticipate the rate of job growth to cool in months ahead. That would be consistent with the unemployment rate we have and the strength of this labor market. Uh, But all signs continue to point to a labor market that is continuing to deliver for American families, and that is good news. So what, what are your expectations then for the August report, which we'll get on Friday? Well. We're close to that report. I won't try to speculate on any one month. I think the consensus is uh, your, your viewers probably know in the range of 250 to 300,000. But uh, I think the important point is that even as we see some expected cooling in the rate of monthly job growth, again, to what would be historically consistent with what we've seen with a 3.5% unemployment rate, we still have strong job growth. We still have a strong labor market. Uh, and independent of any one month, uh, that continues to be true. And that's important for not only the opportunities that workers are seeing in this economy, but also household balance sheets and the resilience of the American consumer. No, it's great news for the economy if the labor market stays strong, but the market is taking it 
as bad news, indicative that the Fed has to do more or will do more when it comes to tighter policy, higher interest rates for longer, that it could be inflationary. Is that your read as well? Well, as I said, we are in a transition and we certainly anticipate that as part of that transition, we will see some cooling in the rate of job growth across time. I think we have started to see that, although the labor market continues to be very strong. And it's our expectation that we'll continue to see that as well. Uh, but any time that Americans have more job opportunities to get good jobs with higher wages, uh, that's good news. We just have to work through this transition in a way where we can get to a stable, steady source of growth uh, for American workers and for the economy uh, without having to give up the economic gains that we've done. Certainly, we believe that that's possible. And we also think that the policy we're pursuing, the legislation we passed recently, will help contribute to that. How, how fast do you think inflation comes down from here? We are starting to see signs everywhere from shipping rates to commodity prices to supply chain thawing that, that that's really happening. Yeah, certainly we're seeing some uh, some positive trends uh, on those uh, on those indicators. I think that we spend a lot of time looking at the transportation logistics system with all the work we've done on the nation's ports. And you're certainly seeing more fluidity and costs coming down there. And of course, on gas prices, continuing uh, over two months of uh, daily declines in gas prices down more than a dollar and 20 cents uh, at this point. Uh, but uh, you know what I can tell you is that we are continuing to look at every policy lever we can to try to encourage that process in the economy while providing some real tangible relief for consumers, which is why our focus is turning toward implementing the Inflation Reduction Act, which has some very powerful tools to try to do that, both on health care costs that families are facing, but also on energy costs that they're facing as well. But if that's true, that, that you're looking at every possible lever to bring down inflation, why go ahead with the student loan forgiveness, which is estimated to cost hundreds of billions of dollars and potentially boost demand, all of which could be inflationary? Well, I think the president spoke directly to the, the logic of that, and he believes it's well justified and that those, uh, those borrowers uh, will benefit from that relief. In terms of the inflation impact, I think a lot of independent analysts have looked at this, and it's appropriate economically to look at the impact of not only uh, the debt cancellation, but also the restart of payments. Right now, nobody uh, is making student loan payments or a very small share of borrowers are making student loan payments because there's been a pause in effect because of the pandemic. And what the president announced and what we will implement is a restart of payments at the end of the year alongside the cancellation. I think that those who have looked at that, including Goldman Sachs and others, say that basically the inflation impact in the short term is negligible. Not helping the mood today, Director Deese, is, is a report that Taiwan has fired a warning shot on a Chinese drone. I know this is outside your specific area, but, but clearly if it impacts the markets and the global economy, the consequences could be severe. What, what are you bracing for here? What is at stake if we do continue to see an escalation between China and Taiwan? Look, we're monitoring all those developments very carefully, and I think you've seen in the United States' posture over the last couple of weeks uh, our, our, our effort and our resolve uh, to uh, to not have that uh, to not have that happen, and uh, while also operating consistent with our longstanding policies and longstanding practices. Look, economically speaking, uh, if we lift up and we look at where we are in the global economy, one of the things that's important is that the United States is in a better position economically than almost any other country to navigate through these global challenges, and also that we're taking steps 
to build resilience in our own supply chains so that we are not as vulnerable as an economy and as a country for both economic and national security reasons to some of the economic challenges in the region. Certainly the significant decadal investment we're going to make in semiconductors is a big part of that, but much more broadly it's why we've put the kind of focus on supply chain resilience that we have. I also asked, I followed up by asking about the, the odds of a recession. He didn't really go there, just said that they continued to point to some of the resilient data in the U.S., like the consumer balance sheets and showing that the U.S. is in a better spot than the rest of the world. And our markets have outperformed as well. Here's where we stand. Speaking of in the markets, down about 300 points right now on the Dow. It is a broad sell-off, though. Nothing too extreme, but down more than 1% on the S&P 500. You've got at the bottom of the pack today, energy down 3.4%. Materials and industrials are also getting hit particularly hard. Financials and healthcare are holding up better, but everyone's down. The NASDAQ is down 1.3% or so. All the tech players are lower. The, the unprofitable tech names, some of the mega caps as well, like uh, Apple, Meta, Alphabet, all lower today. Up next, Evercore ISI's Mark Mahaney will be here to weigh in on the tech sell-off. Whether more pain is on the horizon. And a reminder, you can listen to Closing Bell on the go by following the Closing Bell podcast on your favorite podcast app. Down about 309 on the Dow. We'll be right back. Tech leading the slide today. As you can see, everything is down. It's a pretty broad-based sell-off, but technology in particular getting pretty hard hit. NASDAQ 100 down around 1%, now down 4% on the month. Losers today include Baidu, which had earnings, Lucid Motors, which is issuing more stock. Tesla, NVIDIA, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Meta, they're all weighing pretty heavily on the index as well. Joining us is Mark Mahaney of Evercore ISI. Mark, can you invest in these names with Treasury yields moving up, the 10 years back above 3% and all this volatility around higher interest rates? Yes, you can, but I think what you have to do is bias yourself towards what I call uh, hard money longs rather than easy money longs i.e., you know, the, the long duration assets, the companies that weren't going to be profitable materially for a few more years, maybe that's the Shopify's or the Roku's, those are much harder to buy in this environment. Uh, so you need companies that have got free cash flow yields on 23, that trade close to market multiples on gap earnings. There are names like that. Uh, there are Google, uh, uh, Meta, uh, uh, names like that, and Booking, eBay. There are names that are more defensive that can work in this environment, but it's clearly challenging for growth equities, no question about it. At the same time, the dollar keeps getting stronger. And, and we have seen what a headwind that is for tech and, and some of the problems that are bigger in other places like Europe with energy rationing and the UK and all the global growth concerns. I would think that that represents a risk to some of these what you deem as safer companies. Yeah, it does. I mean, 22 is turning out to be. Uh, an extremely challenging year. Uh, FX uh, um, uh, recession um, and, and then slowdown and tied into that slowdown in advertising spend. So it's really the kitchen sinks being thrown against. Oh, and then rising interest rates uh, as a factor of uh, kind of impacting trading dynamics and just, again, interest in long duration assets. So this is this is turning out to be a, a um, there's a Latin expression for it, but a horrible year or very challenging year for equities. We're going to have to start thinking ahead, though, to 23. And can you find cases where you're going to have material revenue growth acceleration and margin expansion? Sarah, the big setup here is we had dramatic derating across tech. We had multiples come down materially, as they probably should have, because they got way overrated. Easy to say that in hindsight, but they did get way overrated during that latter part of the COVID crisis. As they have come down now, 
the, the risk with these stocks is more estimates rather than multiples. And we've had three quarters in a row of pretty material estimates cuts. When those estimates cuts become more balanced or the move of uh, estimates become more balanced, there's real opportunity for wins in some of these uh, stocks. So I'm going to stick with the highest quality assets with that got good free cash flow positions. I think there are names like that. I think Meta is one of them. I think Amazon is. I think Google is, too. All right. Well, you're consistent on that front, Mark. I, I had to ask you. I have to ask you about Twitter with the with the new developments today. That Musk is using the whistleblower as a new reason to back out of the deal. Does it does it change your view about what happens and what to do with the stock? I'm more confused than ever. But I will point out this: <laughs> the, the whistleblower does say that um, uh, Twitter's accounting for uh, the DAUs, monetizable DAUs, was probably pretty good, which is, I thought was Mr. Musk, which was Musk's uh, major complaint and major reason to back out of the deal. Now, the whistleblower is bringing up other things like potential noncompliance with the FTC. This is one person's assertions. So they're very serious assertions. They need to be assessed. If you're a Musk's legal team, of course, you uh, file a motion based on this new whistleblower information. But it does seem to undermine the original argument, whether it creates viable new arguments to stop the stop the deal it's out of my league i don't know but it, this this yeah. thing is just i'm sure we're going to have more of these uh news days between now and when the trial begins in the middle of october but you're not touching the stock at 39 24. no i mean it's an event stock and um, i'd much rather look for good fundamentally sound companies that i think are dislocated and uh, twitter right now you've got to be a, <laughs> a legal genius to invest in or to trade uh uh to trade twitter now and i'm not Mark Mahaney, well said. Thank you very much, Evercore ISI. Look at the energy stocks, by far the worst performing ones on Wall Street today. Up next, a top analyst on whether today's energy sell-off is creating a buying opportunity. That story plus why Best Buy is rallying when we take you inside the market zone. Dow is down about 270. We'll be right back. We are now in the closing bell market zone. CNBC senior markets commentator Mike Santoli here as always to break down the crucial moments of the trading day. And Mike, haven't really gotten a bounce since the big sell off that we had last week and mainly on Friday post Jackson Hole. What does that tell you? Well, it tells us uh, the buyers are definitely on the defensive and they see no hurry to step in, at least just yet. Uh, basically because the charts uh, keep weakening a little bit. I don't think anybody has a clinching argument that it's not like those who said it was just a bear market rally can yet say, I told you so. But today's economic numbers that suggest it's in resilience in the labor market, good consumer confidence, or at least better than expected, shows you that we're on the defensive for a Fed that feels like it needs to talk and be hawkish until we get more uh, confirmation that inflation's coming down. So I think it's, uh, it's a defensive type posture, but it's it's really not uh, an urgent exit uh, from the markets, at least not yet. Major averages on track to close lower for the third straight day, but off the worst levels of the session. Let's hit energy. It is by far the worst performing sector. Mike, what do you see in the in the energy stocks relative to the price of oil, which is declining? White House, White House seems to be celebrating these lower gas prices. Yeah, I mean, the stocks had actually had a period when they were outperforming crude oil. In part, that's because natural gas was so strong and also because just crude staying near these levels is quite profitable for them. I do think it's an interesting moment for uh, the crude uh, look as well because you know it broke this downtrend from the highs. Uh, it seemed like it was about to gather up uh, another run higher and then it hasn't really convincingly done so and I'm also alert to the idea that oil bulls 
are, are now saying, hey, but look at the weather uh, and, and we could get some hurricanes. And it's just the SPR release that's keeping inventories low. In other words, that story about supply was so tight, prices could go nothing but up a few months ago has been altered. And at least that tells me uh, that the bullish case has been widely adopted and it's, uh, it's, it's maybe coming into a little bit of friction. Hovering just around the 92 level, we were just below there a moment ago on WTI. Let's bring in Citigroup's global head of commodity research, Ed Morse. Ed, you've been bearish, I think, on oil for a long time, even with the big run-up that we saw this year. So are you expecting that we've seen the highs? It's hard to know whether we're seeing the highs. You just mentioned the weather. And yes, a hurricane season could be a very big surprise. But I think there are very big, lumpy uncertainties in the next two to four weeks and maybe a little bit beyond that that are keeping people out of the market. The amount of participation in the market uh, by financial players is extremely low. I say they're dominated by machines. We have, on the one hand, possibility of Iran coming back, and we have, the other hand, a possibility of Iraq going out or the hurricane season. So uh, it's a crapshoot at the moment. So so driving it right now is what? Is all, all those factors? Are you, do you have technicals coming in as well? I think the technicals are, are driving it and the algorithmic traders are driving it. Clearly, we're having weakness in certain parts of the market. Undoubtedly, gasoline prices now down 11 weeks in a row. Diesel a little bit up, but uh, the, 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 the thrust is certainly downward. Demand is unbelievably weak and could get a lot weaker if the slowdown in economic growth turns into a more global recession, which has a good 50% likelihood. So uh, there, there's uncertainty, and I'd say, from our perspective, right now the probabilities are higher for lower prices than they are for higher prices, but the certainty is not really there to the degree that you can say this is a 60 or 70% probability. The, the bulls would say Ed, that demand has actually held up better, especially in the face of China going through its COVID lockdowns, and that supply is really the issue here, and that even if you're worried about recession, you've got such a global supply crunch with what's happening in Ukraine and in Europe that, that it's hard not to be long oil. Why do you disagree yeah, I, with that? I think they're wishful thinking mostly in terms of the supply being dominant. Uh, they're looking at the amount of dollars being spent in uh, upstream investments rather than the efficiency of capital, which has increased dramatically. Um, and if you look at the demand side, it's not just China, it's the United States and Europe. Uh, U.S. demand is down below where it was a year ago by a large chunk. It's been flirting with being down the lowest it's been in 10 years. So I don't see where the demand is coming from. Uh, and yes, there are a lot of uncertainties about supply, but there are as many on the upside as there are on the downside. We have upside potential, not just from uh, the U.S., but from Canada, from Brazil, from Colombia, from Argentina, from uh, you name it in the non-OPEC uh, non world as well as the OPEC world. And this is sustainable. It's going to be there this year and next year at a time when demand is falling. Ed Morse, sticking to the, the bearish view on oil prices. Thank you for joining us from Citigroup. Thanks for having me. I want to bring you a, new, a news alert here on Snap and some layoffs. Leslie Picker has the details. Leslie. Hi, yes, Sarah. This uh, comes from a report from The Verge, uh, citing people familiar with the matter. But the report says that Snap plans to lay off 20% of its employees. It has about 6,400 employees and plans to lay off about 20% of them. Uh, the, the article goes on to say that they've been planning this for about several weeks. Uh, they will begin on Wednesday and hit some groups harder than others. The article cites uh, the team working on 
ways for developers to build mini apps and games inside Snapchat. They expect that to be um, severely impacted are the words that the article uh, uses. And also its hardware division, which is responsible for spectacles and the Pixie camera drone uh, that was recently canceled. Um, Snap declining to comment to CNBC on this reporting, uh, but 20% of Snap's workforce is expected to be laid off, according to people familiar with the matter that spoke with The Verge, Sarah. Leslie Picker, Leslie, thank you very much. And of course, we'll bring you any more information as we get it. Mike, I guess not too shocking for a stock that's down, what, 80% or so from the highs. What, what's interesting yeah. is it's just the latest in a trickle of some of these tech companies that have seen their stock prices and their businesses suffer, like a Robinhood and some others, to announce layoffs. What we really haven't seen get into the macro data yet. No, not quite. Uh, although, I, you know, claims have gone up a little bit, but uh, there's definitely this theme running through mostly tech where there was this, you know, everyone cared about chasing top line growth and maxing out scale as, as well you could. Don't worry about profit. It's, keep in mind, Snap's a big, successful company, yet it doesn't really have a path to genuine bottom line profit at this point, at least not in the next year or two. So I think all that stuff gets into the mix. A lot of CEOs have expressed a ton of frustration about just productivity levels in their workforces. They're trying to bring a little more discipline, probably overhired in a moment of labor scarcity. Uh, and this is the result. So what we're talking about 12, 1300 people would be about 20 percent of SNAP's workforce. It's interesting that the stock is lower. It's not it, sometimes, you know, the stock perversely rallies on this news because cost cutting is, is a good thing. And so is financial discipline, Mike, but not not happening right now. No, it's not. And I mean, who knows uh, exactly why that might be, unless it's sort of indicative that maybe the numbers uh, in terms of revenue trends, advertising volumes, uh, that's another shoe to drop. And we're just hearing about the layoffs beforehand. Let's get back to the broader markets before we head into the close, because we are seeing this broad sell off today. Joining us now is BDA Capital's Barbara Duran. Barb, it's good to see you. You've been pretty constructive and I know you've been buying at least in the in the summertime, right, as we've seen this summer rally. What are you doing now and how are you feeling post Jackson Hole? Well, I am not buying anything right now. I'm just watching and monitoring because even though, in my view, the, the Fed did not see anything new, he did put stronger language. And of course, now investors, to me, it's almost setting up to be a replay of what we saw coming into the second quarter earnings where the market got very oversold. And that's because they weren't sure. And we still aren't sure what the time and duration of inflation will be. So I think we have potential here to get more um, oversold on the downside. And yet, really, when you look at what's happening, inflation is coming down. We saw that in the PC number uh, last week. Surveys are showing consumers are continuing to think inflation will come down. And you've still got very strong employment. You mentioned the jolts number this morning. Even though some investors are interpreting that negatively, it was another million job openings. And you've got consumer confidence has bounced up six points to 103. So I think we're going to continue to see inflation come down, and we could be setting up for a positive surprise in the fall. But in the short term, given how investors are looking at this and worrying about earnings, and I think they could be discounting even dire earnings that I don't think are likely to happen, given the scenario I just described. So I'm just waiting and watching a bit. And through Labor Day, you know, we've got the, job, the private uh, ADP numbers tomorrow in terms of jobs. We've got jobs number yeah. Friday. And then in two weeks, we have the CPI number. So there's a lot that's going to happen that could be, could be positive. So we'll see. Which, which sector, what, what types of stocks would you be looking to buy on your, on your pretty rosy outlook for the fall, which you don't hear too often? 
No, I know. I think I'm the outlier at this point. But, you know, as always, you know, you look at some of the technology and Mark Mulhaney just mentioned, you know, whether it's the Googles, the Amazons, the long duration assets, I think you can wait a bit longer because it looks like they are going to be going a bit lower here. But as always, these are the ones that have long term secular growth stories. And that's what your growth could be scarce as the Fed continues to raise rates. So that I'd be continuing to look there and also some of the oversold retailers who have one-time inventory dislocations as everybody tries to figure out as demand and supply normalize, which is also, you know, happening pretty independently of the Fed. Yeah, retail holding up a little bit better. Actually, Best Buy is having a good day despite reporting comps that were down double digits. It was it was less bad than expected. Barb, thank you. Barbara Duran, good to get You're your right. take. We've got two minutes to go in the trading day. Mike, what are you seeing in the internals today? 1% down on the S&P and, and volumes as well, because we're still we're at the end of August. <laughs> Yeah, I, overall volumes are, are really not impressive. It definitely is a heavy skew, though, to the downside. If you look at the New York Stock Exchange volume split there, it's been, you know, 80, 85 percent downside volume all day. So that's a decent wash. And when you have energy plus tech down, a lot of times not an easy place to hide. Take a look at the two-year note yield. When we did get that, uh, the job openings number at 10 o'clock, it twitched higher to just about 3.5%, settling a little low, lower than that. But it's basically at the cycle highs right now. This is the highest since 2007, building in the Fed rate hike expectations. By the way, the one, two, three, four, and five-year note yields are basically all around the same, essentially saying all the hikes are going to be done within the first year. Volatility index ticks higher. We have a higher low. Again, mid-20s showing concern, but not real outright panic yet, Sarah, as we sort of try to hold right around the 50-day moving average on the S&P. All right, let's take a look at where we stand as we head into the close. The Dow is down 288 points at the low of the day. First of all, we started off positive, as you can see. Didn't, didn't hold that way for long. Lows of the day down 450 points. We're kind of below that right now, down 300 points or so. Nike has been the outperformer on the Dow all day. It's one of the few Dow stocks higher, along with Salesforce, Amex, and J.P. Morgan. With the bell, you've got the Nasdaq down 1%, the S&P down 1%, every sector in the red, energy at the bottom, along with materials. That's it for me in closing bell. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.